The way I see it is if you picture yourself as a listener sitting in your backyard, there's a green space perhaps. Well, if that green space was Halifax, the government has said, we don't want you in it kids. How about we build a sandbox over here? Mm -hmm. Go play in that sandbox. Here's some toys. To me, that's very exciting. On one end, it's made a commercial area for people who enjoy STRs to play, one of which we conveniently happen to be very well positioned to grow. On the other end, in the residential areas, it is really impacting people that we didn't think it would. Players like us have the ability to pivot, have the ability to change directions and fund it, but the real person getting impacted is the single mom with kids, with a job, one income property uses that to fuel her own lifestyle and that just got taken away so if anything it's going to speed the process up there's going to be more investment in the city. is this because these areas are just going to make it very clear cut hey in this area you can carte blanche do short-term rentals bingo we've got a guest on today biggest airbnb manager in nova scotia i want to say he has some really interesting models that he's created on how to he subleases units uh, manages a lot of airbnbs and I think they've delved into buying some real estate now. So we'll, we'll ask him all of those things and get the full details. He was also operating pre-COVID. So he went through that whole experience of the world shutting down. Right, right. Um, and that's Avery Birch, a 365 experience. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. Um, so, man, uh, big lunch or big breakfast. Yeah. You're big- up early today. I was up early today. Um, on a side note, we Neil have gets a, up extra early to be a little bit late. Yeah, I was actually a little bit late, but I left so early from my <laughs> house. But I live so far away. Yeah, is the problem. But this morning there was a uh, a breakfast Q and A with the premier, hosted by the Lebanese Chamber of Commerce here in Halifax. His Holiness. Yeah, it was. It was. It wasn't bad. It wasn't too exciting. I thought like as I was walking in, a few guys were like, you know, what sucks about these is there's a bunch of really good questions people want to ask but they're not going to ask them in front of like everybody in this room. And like, no one's got the balls to stand up and, and ask on average. You're actually usually, if I'm pretty good at these events of being not afraid to ask the question. Yeah. But it's, it's also, there's this awkward thing of like, you don't want to ask too hard of a question because if you ever need something from the premier, he's like, I know you roasted me in front of everybody. So the best thing is lean into him on a couple emails. I yeah. don't even know what I said, but it wasn't good. And so it's like, and that's the thing. So you have to kind of be like, well, I'll, I'll ask the hard question maybe off to the side so I don't roast them. And you, you almost end up wanting to lob questions that are like easy to answer. But it was the two big things were healthcare. Yeah. Um, and they actually mentioned something that they did that was super cool. And I didn't realize they did this. But we have a, a big problem with ambulance drivers in Halifax, Nova Scotia as well, I no think. No kidding. Yeah, and so like our our response times were getting like atrocious, like to the point where people someone died waiting for an ambulance for like an hour or two Dude, hours. Or a couple people that I know had to rescue a guy who broke his leg or his hip hiking on a trail out in like Lawrencetown, and he literally he, he broke his femur or something crazy, and he was just laying there. They had to put him on a surfboard and hike him oh, out what? like many kilometers out of this place, and I think waited three to four hours. For an ambulance and there was another one a kid broke his leg in a football game at sir john a yeah yeah They're still called sir john a they changed the name of all these schools whatever some yeah. high school yeah yeah he broke his leg in the game and it took hours for an ambulance to come <laughs> and is, can you imagine me and the parent there they're talking to the person on 911 they're like like we can put him in the car maybe they're like nope don't move him that's, don't move them. I was just thinking, like, imagine just laying next to the field. It's now been an hour. Everyone's gone home. The game's done, and you're still just laying on the grass. It's because paramedics mangled. make not nearly as much money as they should. It's embarrassing how little paramedics make compared to, say, our other first responders, firefighters, you know, uh, police, police. You know, even, like, 
transit drivers, like paramedics are literally like I've been in a couple accidents. Yeah, yeah. Right. And Requiring this paramedic? is no disrespect to firefighters. They show up there super quick because they keep stations everywhere. Yeah. You know, and they're always fully staffed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They have a very strong union. Yeah. And they show up and they go, Are you okay? I'm like, I think so. They're like, cool. The paramedics are on the way. Jaws of life are just munching your car. No, like, (laughs) but the paramedics, like if I wasn't okay, I'd be like, man, I'm not okay. Where are the paramedics? (laughs) Right? Like those people should be making way more money. Shout out to all my firefighter friends. I'm not taking anything away from firefighters. I'm just saying, I know that they make so much more than paramedics. Um, and think of what paramedics have to deal with. Gunshot wounds, man. People cutting off their finger. Yeah. No, the trauma like, is, is broken craziness. legs. Yeah, like I, I, I don't get it. So, man, but. so this was a cool one that I heard. So you, you know that, and I think this is everywhere. But paramedics a lot of times also do transfers. Like I know I needed a transfer between hospitals, and so I was in an ambulance to do that. It was a bit of an emergency situation, but it was, it was all like they do transfers all over the place constantly. So what they did is they hired um, truck drivers with whatever class license you need to drive an ambulance. Yeah. And they're having them do all the transfers. So actual it's paramedics can yeah. focus on doing the work they're supposed to be doing, which I thought that was a, that was a, clever, the other that was a clever solution. Here's the other or problem. Help. At least and, it's not a solution, but it's, it's a help. And this relates a little bit back to the defund movement, right, which is terribly named, blah, blah, blah. Some of the thought behind that is like police and, you know, EHS or whatever they're called should not be responding to mental health issues necessarily because I yeah. had... I've had, uh, I had a tenant situation where without exaggeration, they would be at her apartment four to five times a week for 90 minutes each visit. And they knew her and and I've talked to them before and they're like, it's a hundred percent psychological. Yeah. She's not, uh, they're she always felt she was having, oh my gosh, I'm having cardiac arrest. I'm having the, she suffered from some mental illness. Yeah. And they said, unfortunately, we have to come every single time. We have to come. And yeah, there needs to be a better seriously, solution. Seriously, four or five that. times a week. And there was another one at another property that was directly across the street from one of my properties. Same deal. They were there but almost daily. Almost it's such daily. A, it's such a touchy thing because there might be that one time that she calls. Yeah, we've all we all heard the boy that cries wolf story. The boy, the boy that cries yeah. wolf. And if something ever happens where somebody or and they kill themselves or something like that happens. Yeah. Like it's gonna be, but we need more that. emergency mental health response. Yeah, um, that that could be something. Different. But then I don't know how, where you're gonna find those people and what are you gonna pay them because the stuff they're gonna have to deal with is gonna mm. be crazy. But oh, so it's interesting. Anyway, so, he, he was talking about healthcare, but yeah, obviously, that was you know, one of the, the elephant, was, other elephant in the room would have been housing. Housing, and in our city, the, the Lebanese community has a, a is a big part of our housing development, um, and so there were a lot of developers in the room. Nobody asked anything too pressing, I'll be honest. Um, we have a rent cap in place right now that went in during COVID for emergency measures. He alluded to that because it's supposed to expire at the end of this year based on what was put in. I felt less confident because he said, yeah, um, I anticipate that it'll be gone at the end of the year. And I'm like, what do you mean you anticipate? Um, and then he... And re- gone and replaced with what? Well, and exactly. So he repeated himself. and He's like, well, it, like, it would make sense, but we're going to phase it out over the next three or five years. And I was like, okay, so I think what they're going to do, I think what I get gained out of that is likely is that's going to be like 2% what is, is what it is now. Maybe it's 6% or they pace it off inflation or come up with something. I think they're afraid to pace it off inflation because of how mm-hmm. high the numbers have been. Mm-hmm. And which is funny because realistic inflation will probably go back to like 3% or something. And it would actually make a ton of sense to then pace it off inflation, but they're going to have to peg it to fixed. something. And they'll probably have to do something like, Hey, it's, it's 
the lesser of 5% or, you know, inflation, right? Like yeah. it'll, it'll be yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, we'll yeah. have to peg it. But there's also going to have to be some nuance with respect to what type of stock, um, you know, if a unit's been renovated or not, all these other things in there as well. It's it's, But it's not going anywhere. I think everyone knows that. It's going to be what's it going to look like moving forward. He... He does a good job of like making people feel good when he talks, but if you're really listening for a true answer, I don't find it was there. And I, <gasps> I should be careful saying wow, this. Wow, that on sounds here. like a politician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a politician. But it was just art. funny. It was funny. Like the question got asked, um, basically about people moving to this province and it being so expensive, and then additionally, um, the the home buyers ban. So he said they're working on the foreign buyers ban, but I'm like, that's federal. There's no chance you're going to change it at all. Yeah. Um, and then he was, someone had just moved back from Ontario and they're like, this was touted us to being way cheaper. But by the time I paid all my taxes and all the difference and re-registered my vehicles, if you move here and register your used vehicle that you own from another province, you pay 15%. So like he, he had paid that, uh, he said his kids are now here going to school and all that. And he's like, it's no cheaper. He's like, arguably it's more expensive for me to be here. Yep. And and then to be honest with you, the response was, well, Nova Scotia is still considered a relatively affordable province and what a great province. And then that the topic went down how great Nova Scotia was. Yeah, and if I, I like, read one more time how many linear feet of coastal line and how you're never more what, than thirty kilometers from water, like that is we talked about like, hey, it, it may be expensive here, but you got Peggy's you know, go. Yeah. It's it's yeah, if you ever some want beaches, to slip on some rocks. The water is cold as shit, but yeah. it's it's all right. But Anyway, so yeah, it wasn't nothing really, like I said, nothing exciting for me came out of it. I'm glad I went. I'm glad I was invited. Um, and uh, I mean, you, you could have made it, but you said you were getting yoked this morning. So yeah, I knew that I would just get frustrated if I went there. I'm a bit disappointed to hear that no one kind of um, posed any hard questions to him. I think people are hedging their bets because everyone knows where their bread is buttered. Oh, one thing I want to add to that no hard question thing is he lined it up. Like he got up there and he said, if you don't get to ask me a question now, I'll stick around for a couple hours after and we can uh, chat one-on-one. So everyone yeah. was kind of, he was kind of like, don't ask me the hard questions right now. Like, let me work on this. Right, right. But, hmm. um, anyway, yeah, I yeah. liked it not to go. So, uh, and I, I don't think, uh, I don't think he made the wrong decision, honestly. Especially I went as your informant on that one, so. That's right. Um, let's talk about what we're going to discuss today. We've got a guest on today. We're super excited about that. Yeah. Um, Biggest Airbnb manager in Nova Scotia, I want to say. Um, yeah, I mean, it must be right there. I mean, we'll, we'll unpack numbers with him, which I think people will be really interesting to hear. Yeah. Um, he has some really interesting models that he's created on how to, he subleases units, uh, manages a lot of Airbnbs, and I think they've delved into buying some real estate now. So we'll, we'll ask him all of those things and get the full details. He was also operating pre-COVID, so he went through that whole experience of the world shutting down. Right, right. Um, and that's Avery Birch, a 365 experience. You guys might have seen him on social or, or come across their, you know, one of their units um, if you've been staying out here in Nova Scotia. Obviously, big changes coming for that sector. Speaking of the government, uh, both municipal and provincial are changing a bunch of things on that. A um, lot of big news in that front. So yeah. we'll see how, you know, he's got the insider info on that, how that's going to impact people. He's deeply engaged in that. Um, I have some stuff I want to talk to you about cruise ships. I've brought this up in the past. Yeah. Um, the internet, I feel like, is buzzing right now with the ability to live on a cruise ship for some low, low dollars. So we'll get into that. Um, and then there's also two things I want to ask you about where you see the market going. We do it every week, and it might seem redundant, but we're in such a weird time, and things seem to be flipping mm-hmm. back and forth. I kind of want to uh, run stuff by it. And then also just a quick one, which I think is kind of funny, but it's a class action lawsuit going on in Toronto with the people of TO versus the realtors of Toronto. 
Yo, okay. So that sounds interesting. Do we want to start with that? Yeah, let's hop into that one first. You're gonna the second I say it, you're like, this is gonna be stupid. Uh-huh. But there's a class action lawsuit taking place in Ontario, stating mm-hmm. that the realtors of the MLS system and GTA are price fixing <gasps> to get larger commissions. Oh my saying, god, that's so dumb saying, on so many levels. I know. They're saying Man, people are so stupid. Yes, and they're saying they're not price fixing necessarily the home prices, but their commission rates. Oh. Well, okay. And I think where this spawned from, and this is why I'm like... Do they not know that this already, like, at a federal level, was was discussed? Like, the whole anti-competition, uh, anti-collusion um, legislation federally that we have is the exact reason why there was a change from the realtor, the MLS.ca to realtor.ca, and mm-hmm. now these IDX systems where anyone can share, is that they already went through this whole conversation at a national level? Well, and this is the thing, the immediate response when asking um, the representative for the MLS, they're like, there is no price fixing because you can walk into any shop and get a $1 listing, a mere posting if you want. And due to that reason, you don't have to work with us. There's, oh, 100%. It's not, there's no part of Ontario where you simply have no choice but to work with a physical realtor that charges 2.5%. Yeah. Any place in all of Canada... You can go online and for like a few hundred dollars, you can list your home on realtor.ca. I'd be interested to see who's involved with this because it's usually some, it sort of coincides usually with some company in the background that is now also launching a for sale by owner website. And like it goes (laughs) hand in hand, right? Like, oh, let's get a bunch of of publicity because doesn't this sound crazy that this group is suing the real Mm -hmm. estate board or whatever it is. Um, and then they just happen to also have a product that's like a for sale by owner program. There was nobody in this, but like that's exactly it. In like the CBC article, they're like, oh, and we also interviewed uh, the owner of Freebid where you can sell your home for free. And he's just like, realtors are the worst. And you're like, I actually was a realtor at one point, but they're the worst. And it's like, okay, yeah. just relax. But this would be like for me, I was like, this is the equivalent of people being like, well, Ferrari's price fixing at $300,000. Like the car only costs 50K to make. They have the highest profit margins in the industry, but I'm like, yes, but you also can just go buy a regular car. Like you yeah. can't, you know what I mean? Like you choose yeah, yeah. to walk into Ferrari and buy the car. It's the same as when you choose to go to a full service brokerage, you're paying for a full service and that's what they charge. And, and people aren't going to care about this history, but I think we should acknowledge at one point in time, they might've had an argument when there was no internet and like literally yeah. these listings were hoarded by yeah, real estate agents and people like, I don't even know what's for sale. And the agents are like, well, I do. And I know the other agents that have buyers and blah, blah, blah. Then it was very difficult. Now, with the internet, come on, man. All the information is out there. Um, the marketability of properties has changed significantly. It's, and this is why that sort of model collapsed a little bit. And there are all these alternative pricing models and these alternative service models. Back in the day, it was a little sus. Like, your agent literally could make or break you. Like, if you're an investor, definitely could make or break you because there's some agents that would have lines on certain properties and could feed one thing to a sell like they're they have so our whole, much control our whole system evolved that the seller pays all the fees no because it used to be that there was no such thing as buyer agents there were only agents that represented the seller but if you had the seller i could also represent the seller and we would share the commission so that's how but like i would try to find a buyer to sell your home so i would be actively trying to sell the home to get paid by the seller and over time people like man the buyer's really getting no representation, so it evolved into buyer representation with the seller continuing to offer commission. But at one Which point I think is time, a better system, for sure. You, you talk to an agent that's over, say, 70, 
And they'll say something, and if you really prod them, be like, well, all of us work for the seller at the end of the day. We're all trying to sell the seller because that's what it was. Everyone was out there trying to sell the seller's home. It'd be like you're on a car lot. The company has the cars. You're just there to sell the cars. You know, and yeah, you yeah, only bring it like sense. a buyer comes through the door. You're trying to find buyers, but you're trying to sell the car. Yeah, you're yeah, not yeah, representing yeah. the buyer buying that car. Anyway, so that's how that history evolved there. But interesting. Yeah. And yeah, it's be a funny lawsuit, but I guarantee you there's something, you know. It's just someone got pissed off that they like someone either feel like their house got undersold or someone feels like they overpaid and then they're gonna try and stick it to them. Well, every time one of those comes out, they say one of two things. I used to be an agent. Yeah. Or I had a bad experience selling my home. I didn't like my agent. And I also happen to be, you know, very tech savvy. Yeah. Those are the only two things. Um which no one that was a successful real estate agent would ever be like, I'm making too much money. I'm doing too many deals. This isn't fair. I'm going to voluntarily take less money and start this service. At the end of the day, they weren't making enough money. They weren't closing enough deals. That's why they start these other services. Print it. Write it down. Only the agents will appreciate that comment, but whatever. <laughs> um, I agree. But uh, anyways, I wanted to mention that because I saw it and I thought it was kind of hilarious. Um, and I don't say it cause I'm an agent. Like I just, I understand, I understand the frustration sometimes, but people choose like the sellers are choosing to do that and they're paying for it. So, um, anyways, moving into the cruise ship stuff, because I feel like oh, that's yeah. an interesting one for everyone. I'm sure you've all seen. And if you haven't, there's a bunch of pictures going around on Instagram of cruise ships that say you can live on a cruise ship for $30,000 a year. And that's I was like, that. Sick. Sounds I am great. I am out of here. Like prepare for let's me. Get, let's live on a cruise ship and we'll start our own for sale by owner website. Yeah. Me and we you, could, Neil. We could sell units on the cruise we'll ship. Be the honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> Doing um that. so I looked into it. I don't have you looked into it yet? Uh no. Just briefly. Okay. No. So the company that's like getting all the, the media coverage right now is called Life at Sea Cruises, and they're taking bookets for what they call the ultimate bucket list cruise. It's a three year long cruise, covers hundred and thirty thousand miles. 375 ports, hits all seven continents and 135 countries for the low, low price of 30,000 a year. So you Damn, have to buy to three port every three days. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, um, Oh wait, how many years is that you go for three? Yeah. Three years. So every, every okay. three days. Yeah. And so they help, they have, I, I didn't write that part down, but they had, I think for 175 of them, they're two night stays or one night stays at the ports. So you can actually spend a bit of time there. Um, Imagine getting like so comfortable on that ship that you're just like walking around in your underwear, <laughs> just like not kind of that's basically my my place. Is that not what you do when you go cruising? That's what I go cruising. Yeah. Um, True. but so what you get for that 30k year, like it's it's boiled back. It's actually obviously it's 90k that you have to pay. You need a 45k down payment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have that's a bunk in a two person bunk room. Ooh. Okay. So it's actually 180k. For a two-person bunk room, which is 130 square feet. Ooh. Right? And you know, because you, if you've been on a cruise mm-hmm. before, you know the rooms are super small. I have not been. I haven't been either. I've been on a cruise ship, but I've never been on a cruise. Let's do it. Oh, we should. We should do a Master Keys cruise. Um, I would actually be... Yeah, okay. Anyways. Um, <laughs> so it's 100, 180000 bucks for the 130 square foot condo for two. You are allowed to share it with people. So potentially you could buy portions of that time. Okay. Um, but what's included with that was actually quite surprising to me because technically it's 2500 bucks a, per, a month per person so you get you get your lodging what thirty thousand dollars a year is twenty five hundred dollars okay. a month all right all right and with that you but get your lodging your food unlimited buffet your Ooh. food soft drinks juice tea and coffee all day laundry and housekeeping alcohol with your meal 
All the port fees and everything are covered. Entertainment. I don't know if there's much entertainment that's included necessarily. I thought all these cruises had like little shows. Well, they do usually, but this is really cheap. Like this is less than $100 a day. And then there's high-speed internet. And then they built a business center with office spaces and meeting rooms and boardrooms to allow you, because the idea is they're going after people that can work remotely permanently to Mm. go on this. And it's kind of a neat idea. Like if you work remotely and this is a setup for this, you would do your nine to five, but the second five o'clock hits, you're going to walk out at a like new city every night and you can go to some super cool restaurant. You can have experiences on the weekends. They have it definitely set up to go to really cool ports and they have overnight stays. Like it's actually kind of sick to think that like when you're sleeping and working, you're probably cruising along and on all your other free times, you're in a different part of the world. It's like a pirate. (laughs) (laughs) And it's only twenty five hundred dollars a month. Like a pirate. What do you do? I'm a pirate. Just think. If you said, if you said, and so the port. (laughs) That's like saying if you if you look at it like this, let's say fifteen hundred of that twenty five hundred goes towards housing. You are literally only going to be able to buy a two hundred thousand dollar house in the current market conditions anywhere in Canada. Well, yeah, utilities, insurance between utilities, insurance, property taxes, and heating in your mortgage. Two hundred thousand is your budget at fifteen hundred bucks a month, Mm. and then the other thousand dollars would go towards cleaning and food. Hmm. Like and even if even if you brought food down to five hundred bucks since you brought your budget up to two grand, that's maybe a two hundred and seventy thousand dollar home. So you basically can't live anywhere in Canada. And anywhere you even try to live, you're gonna have a very small, not yeah, yeah. not not a well conditioned home. It's not like you're gonna get a new construction condo or anything like that. It's not the worst thing. Man, I like the sounds of it when I heard it before. I don't hate it anymore now. The 130 square feet for you and a buddy is a little tough. I think, I feel like they're really trying to hope that like it's couples that go in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Now they had a bunch of upgrade rooms. I think you can get one with, a, that's an interior unit as well. But I think the idea is that you would only be in that room for sleeping. Yeah. And then you'd spend the rest of the time out on the cruise ship in different parts. Well, of I mean, it's like these, you remember you talked about those cages and you got the country wrong and everyone roasted yeah, you. Everyone, yes, yes. How could I forget? <laughs> but yeah, people live in cages in parts of the world and they probably pay more than that for their rent alone in the cage. Yeah. So um, they, they have bigger units as well, obviously. Like you can spend yeah. up to a hundred grand a year if you want to get a nice big unit. Um, I, I kind of, like it kind of makes sense. Like yeah, I can see uh, a lot of, it's basically you're paying 50 bucks a night for your lodging. Yeah. And then the other 50 bucks on food. I've paid more and gotten less. That's, so. yeah, it's not even 50 bucks. It's $30 a day in food and 50 bucks in lodging. And you yeah. get to go all the way around the world and see all these cool things. Like, it's honestly, if you're on a remote job and you want, like, I, I'm, this sounds sick, man. I, it has potential. Can you, can you see this? Can you see, I, after reading this, I was like, can you see us getting to a point where there's a large population of people living on ships like this? Like, if this goes successful, the the automatic the like the, the obvious thing would be that they're going to then pre-release a bigger ship and so people will commit in advance so it's like buying a spec home so people will commit in advance to an even bigger ship that'll do the same thing yeah. Could you see it getting to the point where there's a ton of people and aren't there already super ships that have like timeshares almost like condo units they on do, the yeah. ships like they do. i i think developing these floating cities where you effectively have condos is going to be a thing in the not too distant future I don't know, like, the business model. I don't know how much it costs to run one of those ships, but I think you probably could just sit it out in the harbor and people would still rent that sucker. Oh, 100%. You go to, you go to, you go to big cities like New York and Vancouver and Toronto, houseboats and, like... I was in Van there last year. Was it last year? Yeah, it was last year. And uh, they have a whole, like, community. Like, it's, like, with, like, boardwalks and everything and all of them are houseboats. And they look like little literal houses. Like, I don't mean 
Like when, yeah, when you yeah, think house, like they're moving anywhere. No, like yeah. like when you think houseboat, like it looks usually like a shed on a barge. These look like actual homes, like homes that if you lifted them up and put them on a street, no one would look twice because oh. it's an actual house. And they were chilling on barges, floating, and they were all tied up together in the harbor with boardwalks between them. And people just live in them like normally. Man, I watched First 48, you know, like the murder yeah, shows. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And there was this one where there's... Like there's this whole kind of it's a, it's a pseudo homeless encampment, but it's on the water. They have these little rafts and they go and they like tie to each other, and that's where the homeless are living. What what city? Uh, I can't remember. I don't know. Anyway, one of them was murdered gruesomely. Uh, anyway, let's uh, change <laughs> topics here. Um, switch, switching into some some I don't know. I think there's like good news, bad news stuff coming out here. So I'm going to throw this at you, and you tell me what is of interest to you and what isn't. Bank of Canada did not hike rates for the first time. In 12 months, 300 years, like eight consecutive increases that took us up, I think 425 points in 12 months. Mm. This is the first time there was no rate increase. I actually got a couple celebratory text messages from friends and clients who were like, no rate increase today. And it's like, yes, we finally unclench our assholes for uh, a moment because we finally didn't get absolutely pulverized. Um, Maybe we're not. I mean, it's still clenched. I would say I'm still, I'm still, I'm still clenched. Everybody, <laughs> full clench, uh, 365 days a year, just like the cruise. Um, <laughs> but I mean, th- that that was no, that's that is exciting that's news. Some good news, yeah. Um, and obviously, Canadian uh, inflation, like we said in the last episode, came in lower than expected. Yeah, uh, at 5.9 percent. The problem, economy is saved. Well, the problem with this is that um, the Fed. Uh, kind of the chair of the Fed just announced that there's probably more rate hikes coming there. Mm-hmm. I think there's somewhere around four and a half, just over four and a half percent right now. And there's talk of them going to five and a quarter, five and a half. Some people even saying maybe 6%. Yeah. So that's not good um, for a couple of reasons. As soon as that happened, the Canadian dollar dropped a little bit. We talked about this before because the exchange rate pressure yep. that, that happens with that. And we have to realize that if the Canadian dollar goes down, everything we import gets more expensive, and that is going to put pressure again on our prices here. So how long will we be able to stay independent of the rake hikes in the U.S.? I don't know. Yeah, that's so that's where I was going to go with this. I think it's exciting that they didn't. I got to take this coat off. It's a thousand degrees in here. Maybe it's because I'm wearing the headphones. You should I know. Try Why are you on. wearing the headphones for literally no reason? It, it's exciting. I can hear the voice. Now I see what the guys are dealing with when we start to like tilt our mouth away from the mic and you can't quite make it out. Um, but all right, I'm free. I'm going to do a button here. I got to, I got to, wow. This is getting a little chest hair out here. Okay. So <laughs> Jesus, buddy. Um, no. So yeah, excited. They didn't even do a rate hike, but exactly to what you said that there's going to be, because it's going to hurt our currency, which we talked about on previous episodes and why it does that. It's going to make everything more expensive again because we literally import all of our goods for a a large majority, really. Um, And so that's concerning. The other thing is that I heard on the rate side of the world is the states, 98% of the American money is locked in at a lower rate than what's out there today. And that's because in the states you can get a 30-year fixed mortgage. And a lot of people do take them and they've been taking them. And so like 50 or 60% of the mortgages in the States are under like 4% and they're locked in for 30 years. So they have no, they don't have to change. They don't, they don't ever have to like in the near considerable future have conceivable future need to make a change. 
Um, and so where I'm going with this is that Canada is not in that position. We don't have those length of mortgages. Most residential mortgages are three to five years. So a lot of people are going to have to change if they haven't already. And we are highly leveraged in certain places. Um, so although that rate hike is good to hear, I think we're at a point where the high, high, rates, rates are high enough that people are really going to feel it. Inflation's gone as far as it has and will likely continue, maybe not continue to grow, but it'll continue and take longer to deflate because of this. And again, it, it feeds back to my concerns of like something's got to give. And I don't, I'm not sold it's necessarily the real estate market because there's a lot of people who don't need to sell. Like I'm feeling that every week as I send out offers. People are like, I just don't need to sell. Like I'm not going to reduce my price. Um, but it, it might put a beat down on a lot of other things like consumer spending, consumer debt, automotive debt, um, just overall, like, you know what I mean? Which is, yeah. Well, they want to rein in, but if it's so dead and dry, it's going to be hard for industry well, uh, let me, to survive. Let me hit you with a little boohoo related to that. So, um, there was just, uh, the, the delinquency numbers were released for fourth quarter of last year. Yeah. So delinquencies are climbing for almost every lending product except for mortgages. Okay. So, you know, personal lines of credit, car loans, the delinquency rates year over year are up for every single one of those in the fourth quarter of last year. Okay. And that's measured by 90 plus day of delinquency on the payments. Yeah. So they're up nearly 21% here in Nova Scotia. Yeah. They're up 14.6% in Ontario. Hold and up, they're up 21%? Yep. Okay, sorry, continue. Delinquencies on non-mortgage lending products in Nova Scotia are up 21% year over year uh, in the fourth quarter of last year. Uh, and Alberta was up just under 6%. The only province that was down was somehow BC, but across the board, the whole country's up around 11 or 12%, uh, and even higher if you take out BC, that, that seems to be doing well somehow. Is there data within that of what makes that up? Like, is it delinquency specifically on car loans or credit Vir- cards? Virtually every single product was was up in every single province, almost. I mean, there's some where certain sectors are, are maybe better than others, like student loan versus car payments versus unsecured debt versus whatever. Um, but the interesting thing there is that mortgage delinquencies are not up. But here's why. We've talked about this before. People will pay their mortgage first at the expense of all of their other borrowing products. Yep. I've said this before. People rarely go bankrupt on their mortgage. It's, they go bankrupt because of the other higher debt, lower priority boring products, uh, which yep. are no less harmful uh, from a credit or from just a cash flow perspective. But people obviously prioritize the roof over their house. Um, but there's there's an inevitability building there. 100%. And that's kind of been my mindset this whole time. Like, I've been, I know I've been back and forth and talking about the real estate market. And I think for anyone that's listening, I'm trying to just talk about this. Like, it puts it in your head and you, you're cautious and you pick to, you choose what to do with it. But um, I think I think automotive is going to be one that takes an absolute beat down because we were at a point where we were, people were paying over a sticker for cars, used cars were basically the same price as new cars, and the financing terms on these vehicles are brutal, and so and lots of people rolled previous debts from vehicles into new cars, mm-hmm. and it's not a necessity, especially not a necessity to have a certain type of car. Like really, everyone for the most part, ninety five percent of people could get away with a very basic vehicle to go from point A to point yeah. B. It's a, it's a desire to have those upgrades. It has also been an easy thing to sell um, as opposed to, say, your house. 
Exactly. Right? Um, so it's also a market where they can produce it very quickly. Like in a month, all the car brands can make a million cars. Right, like Ugh, they can doesn't seem like it right now, but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think part of it's artificial because when I go to the dealers and talk to them, like some of the other brands that aren't as horny on this back order style, like the sales guys will tell me, like, no, man, like we have we have full supply. We just don't keep it on the immediate our new thing is we don't keep it on the dealer lot. Mm. Um, and so they're kind of creating the perception that they're on this huge back order. But I also know like same with Tesla's, like I know everyone was freaking out with the chip shortage, but you couldn't get a Tesla during COVID for a year, year and a half. Now you can order one and have it in 60, 90 days. Um, most vehicles are like that, unless they're special editions and, and stuff like that. Like I don't, I, I think a lot of times when they're telling you, those, and I bet you a lot of the dates that they're giving people right now will get beat. They, they do that to create hype in my opinion, right? Like not to rag and car yeah. salespeople. I love cars. I love the whole industry really, but it's, it, it's probably known for being the most, I wouldn't say fraudulent, but they'll stretch the truth the furthest. And so if, you, if you're in car sales and you disagree with me, let me know. But I think it's it's the most aggressive sales for a product of that dollar value. Um, and so sometimes they'll create the idea that like, oh, you can't have the car for X amount of time. And then, oh, we got it and this and that. Like, I think there's a lot of that that goes on. Um, and yeah, so I, I see that market taking up slaughtering that, boats, toys. Like, I think the toy market yeah. in general is... All the toy stuff is going to be the first to be purged. Yeah. You're going to keep um, your house first, like you said. 100%. So... Um, that's scary. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit scary for sure. I think also we have to remember it's year over year and this time last year, money was dirt cheap. Yeah. Right. So there weren't a lot of delinquencies when credit was basically free and the dealer would buy your car back for more than you paid. Exactly. People, you know, you had all of these options. If you were in, in maybe a credit crunch to not have to go delinquent money was raining from the heavens. So I, I, that's the only saving grace I take from that figure. Um, but it's something worth monitoring for sure. 100%. And I think that's where a big part of our beatdown is going to be is on regular consumer debt, which is going to change our abilities to purchase stuff. Like like Chandler just said, there was a lot of interest rates that were low and it made it easy to buy, but there was also a million programs. It got to the point where you could finance a pizza. Huh. Right? Because every finance yeah. company was just like, well, no one's defaulting because they always come up with money. So it's just that's like true. we can lend against literally anything yeah. and it works out. But now as people start defaulting on everything and like, shit, this person's got a $900 line of credit with Pizza Pizza that they're not paying. <laughs> and we, what are we going to collect on? They already <laughs> ate the pizza. Like, you know what I mean? So oh, like that was the crust. <laughs> <laughs> so like you can recycle the cardboard boxes, but it's not going to bring back your 900 bucks. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's going to change that world a lot. On the housing side, I do think, um, and I've said this on pretty much every pod, but I think places like Ontario are going to take a beat down because... There's been so much that's gone on there to artificially increase the market. And there's a lot of private lending that takes place there. So they haven't been following the rules and they don't have the long terms. Like a lot of these private smaller banks don't offer these long terms. Um, Well, Neil, I'm glad you mentioned Ontario. uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. So the numbers for Toronto came out. The average home price in Toronto for February month over month Mm -hmm. was up 1.1% was up $12,400 to just under $1.1 million in February. Okay. So this is still down year over year because mm-hmm. last year we talked about this at length last episode. These numbers are always going to be down year over year until we hit around, well, rented rates, rate hike start right around now. So yeah. until we hit June, July, August, September, probably even September, you're going to see numbers down, quote unquote, year over year. But yep. month over month, those sales are up. Now, what's interesting, why would you assume that is? This is a great article put up by Better Dwelling when they published Toronto numbers. Uh, To me, there's the little blip where rate hikes stopped taking place. uh, Five-year bonds came down. So five-year money went down a bit. 
and it it helped to force people in like people started feeling reinvigorated to buy uh, and people saw that there had been a little bit of a price, like price had pulled off a bit. And so they started to buy in. And so then it started to push things back up. And I feel like I've gotten a lot of calls in the last. You're 100% exactly right. Oh. I, was, I was expecting you to be wrong. Oh, I thought sweet. you were going to say inventory. Because oh. everyone says, oh, inventory. It must be because inventory is down. No, and I, interestingly, month over month, inventory was up and the number of sales were down. So inventory's up, number of sales down. But the average price is But up. the average price was up. Yeah. And you're right. It was because for, for a moment there, everyone said, okay, Bank of Canada's not raising the variable rates. And uh, bond yields dropped, so five-year fixed money was cheap. And then the bonds went back up, so the five-year fixed went right back mm-hmm. up. So there's a lot of people out there with a 60 or 90-day rate hold. Those of you listening, if you have a 60 or 90-day rate hold, you might want to get going with it because you could be mm-hmm. up 80 points. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so that, that motivated a little bit of, uh, of buying. Yeah, It's not a huge gain, like 1.1%, but that would be a large enough sample size that it's not immaterial. It's a big swing, especially when we had had multiple months of, a, of downward home prices. Yeah. And that's a big indicator that people utilize and have I've seen posted everywhere that's like, well, before the 2008 crisis, we had eight months of declining prices. Before this, now we're at nine months of declining prices. So for there to be a swing back in the other direction should show a sign of reboot. I'm always fearful because if you look at every single crash of every single commodity ever, it goes, starts going down we'll and then there's up. a little blip. And then it falls off a massive cliff of Mount Everest. Well, remember how I said I wanted Vancouver and Toronto to continue to get their butts kicked so that the Bank of Canada would chill on the rates. Because they're but chilling if, in. If Toronto starts ramping up and if our dollar starts getting hammered, inflation is going to go right back up and we're going to see more rate hikes, which is scary. Yeah, that is scary. It's, I was going to say, like a lot of people bring foreign money in when the when the dollar goes down, but that shouldn't be impacting the Toronto market that much right now because it's multi-band for, mm-hmm. like, for, for all intents and purposes. Uh, and usually they're into buying a lot of land outside of the city centers. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think it's just a temporary blip sentiment thing. I don't think, we, like I think we've faced about 50 to 70% of the price loss. I think we're going to have a bit more on certain properties. Um and I think then it's going to start to really level out. And I think we might run a level market for... So you're a, talking nationally. I'm talking on like a national average. Yeah. I think locally, I think Alberta will do well because um, we're going to be entering normal. into our energy crisis. They're doing well now. Um, and then Atlantic Canada, I think, will also do well, assuming our immigration remains. Um, again, I'm always nervous about that just with the, yeah. the struggles that we're facing here. And it's all new to us. And, and we have... Uh, very loud. It's also so tricky. Like, what does doing well mean? The houses keep going up in value. No, but, like, I mean doing dead yeah. broke. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, yeah, we're dead. Well, no, but I mean, the, like, like the city of Halifax had, ran a surplus. Yeah, and that so for a city to run a surplus as a whole is, is a good thing, and they've done it a few times now. Um, and there's infrastructure projects taking place. Like, there's big ones downtown going on. There's highway improvements being made. Um, there are big development projects that got fast tracked that are started. Um, and they're, they're putting, pushing forward a lot of other projects. So I think that when you think housing is such a big part of our GDP, it's an indicator of things moving in the right direction. I've also heard the rumor mill that office is filling up a bit with, uh, different companies, but the problem is, is we are a cruise ship port. So we'll likely lose all of that to the next life at seas cruise that pulls up and takes all of our people for 30 K a year. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I I'm, I'm back and forth a lot on the market. Um, I'm so unsure it's funny like i listen i read and everyone's no one has is for sure and you can literally you can literally google housing market crash and there's 100 articles you can also say housing market growth and there's 100 articles yeah and they're both from like legible people like rbc says the market's going to continue strong 
And then, like the RBC, I think just said, and was, I saw this on Better Dwelling that, that the markets at the bottom, there might be 20% drop in some areas, but as a whole, we're going to start climbing again by the end of the year. And then other people are like, we're about to fall off the face of the earth to the point where you'll never own your own home again because it's just so volatile and you're going to lose all your life savings. But like, what? Buy crypto. And it's, I don't know. What, what does this mean for inflation, man? Like, that's my big price thing. stuff is crazy. I think Loblaws had big profits Q4. Like you're talking about manufactured scarcity in the auto industry. Like all this stuff we do focus on housing and we ignore, you know, like if, if you applied the same logic to these other um, big industries where maybe there's, I don't want to say price gouging, but a lot of it smells a bit like price gouging. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know why we don't tackle some of that, but anyway. Um, well, on that cheery note, do you have you have one more thing? No, I was going to okay. say our key player of the week before oh, yeah, we that's right. bring Avery in. I don't know, is he out there? I don't, I don't know if he's here yet. No. Um, but we're actually recording this today on International Women's Day, and this is a pure coincidence. Yep. Uh, but we have a, a female player of the week. Yeah, so our key player of the week. Our key player of the week was nominated to us. Um, and just as a reminder, you guys can nominate Fireman. a key player whenever, whenever you'd like, and we will definitely uh, shout them out. Assuming it's for the right reasons. <laughs> um, but uh, this week we got with uh, Janelle Poucher. And so some of you guys may know her. Uh, she's a mortgage broker here in Halifax. Um, she seems to travel a lot as per her Instagram page. And she has been investing in real estate uh, for a few years now. Yeah, she's and newly a mortgage broker. Her original background is actually in engineering, much like yourself. How many engineers up? do we know that are just like nuts to this? I'm getting into real estate. That's what she did at a young age, 23. I think she bought her first duplex. And from there, yep. she partnered up with Ian Armour. Uh, and they've been, you know, flipping, burring, wholesaling. Um, wholesaling, buying multis here. I think also looking down in the States a bit as well. Yeah, and they're now hosting monthly real estate meetups in Halifax. They run a weekly podcast club. And they have their own podcast. Um, and so, yeah, and then she got her mortgage worker license together. They own 26 units. They've raised about a million dollars in private lending. And like I said, she lives a very, um, I think aspiring lifestyle for a lot of people where she's able to travel. She runs her mortgage brokerage business and she's also, uh, investing in, in 26 units at a young age is, is very impressive. So nice work, Janelle. Uh, you're our key player of the week. And again, if you have someone you want to send in, let us know. We'd love to shut them out, potentially have them on the pod. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, let's uh, we'll let's tag her so you guys now. can get it. And we're going to switch over here. Now we're going to talk to Avery. Thanks so much for listening to this point. Don't forget, like, follow, subscribe. A bunch you shared that you were watching us, like to your stories. That means a lot to us. It also helps with engagement. So please continue to do that. But keep listening because Avery Birch, owner 365 Experience, is coming up after the break. We're talking about the Airbnb, all the changes, all the legislations, all this crazy stuff that's going on. I may have to admit that he's changed my mind on some of this stuff uh, and and what it could mean going forward. You know, I've been critical about the features of short-term rentals. He's also going to tell us about this really cool retreat that he's building right here in Porter's Lake. It's super cool, so keep listening. <gasps> A weed whacker. We're back in the, in the studio now with, um, I'm going to say friend and Airbnb aficionado Avery Birch. Uh, not much. How you doing? Doing good, man. Um, yeah, very timely conversation. That was a, a brutal intro. You're you're killing me over well, here. Well, I was going to say, Avery, trying to let you handle the intro, and you're, you're no, no. Well, if you go, go for it, if you want to say, Avery, if you want to introduce yourself, um, I don't even know what all you have going on right now, but I think Chandler does better than I. Well, I mean, I I reached out because I know you spoke at the um, public forum with respect to the short-term rental changes that were happening here in in the city, uh, and you had a lot of really important things to say and. 
I knew kind of that you were a big player in that space. I guess I maybe didn't know to, to quite, quite the extent. Um, so so many people are asking about what these changes are going to be, how it's going to look, what are the impacts? And a lot of people, certainly a lot of our listeners are opposed to them. Um, so I thought getting it from the source would, would be great. And then come to find out you're also up to some really cool things. Like you're designing some new spaces and some new, um, retreat, uh, stuff really. Um, so we're going to talk about that as well, which is an extra little bonus. 100%. But you guys know each other somehow. Yeah, we have like a, a small background and I was just about to explain. I was like, this would be a funny story for the pod slightly. Um, but I don't know if you remember specifically how we met, but I'll tell, we met through another colleague of ours who I would say is one of the best people at networking that I know. <laughs> like he is, like he makes his full-time thing is that he networks and maintains relationships with everybody. Once he meets someone, like he will maintain that relationship full effort, whether you want it or not. Um, <laughs> and I'm not saying that I didn't want it, but I'm just saying he did a very oh, good stalker. job. Got it. And yeah, he cool, made cool. way more effort um, than anyone ever has that I know. Um, anyways, I'll shut him out. Kareem, he doesn't even live in Canada anymore, I don't think, but he owns a company here in Halifax. He does, yeah. Um, but he, I met him because he responded to a Kijiji ad for a rental listing that I had posted. He had no intent of renting from me, but he came out and he chatted and then he was starting a cleaning company at the time. And he asked oh. me who cleaned my units. And that's when he got on me. And he had my phone number then because he came for a showing. And he stayed on me and stayed my on me and stayed on real. me. And finally, I gave him a unit. And then he did some more units and kind of went from there. And we always networked. He was always really good at introducing. He's like, oh, like, I'll, we'll be talking. He's like, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? He'd always say, what do you need? What do you need from me? Hmm. And I was like, I, I don't know, man. You reach out to me. I don't need anything. And I'm, I'm like, well, what, what are you doing right now? And I'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm wrapping my my truck because I had a con- contracting company at the time. And he's like, give me a minute. And he like has in his Rolodex a guy that he's also maintained <laughs> that relationship with that wraps vehicles. And yeah. so then he'll introduce the two of us. And I and like a lot of people would do it. It's called like reverse networking. This is where like weird. You, you try to, yeah. instead of trying to put you together, you put other people together and know that's going to reciprocate back. But yeah. And so yeah. he basically, exactly. And he was, I'll, I'll give him credit. He did a really good job of it. Yeah. He introduced me to you. He told me that you were going to be the first uh, Halifax billionaire or, the, or a billionaire or something along those lines. That's how he told me. He goes, this guy is going to be a billionaire. You got to meet him. I swear to God, you guys are going to like hit it off all this. And so he introduced us. I think we met at like Halifax Club or something. Mm. Um, and then, um, yeah, he has a cleaning company that he's basically made fully automated. And so he's able to travel the world pretty much the whole year, it seems like, and make a very solid six-figure income. Hmm. And he's never here. And he only, I don't think, like, he was like, look, this is how big I want to make it. It's going to run automated. I get to enjoy my life. And off I go. And so he hustled for about two, three years. And off he went. And he was also, he did everything. Like, he flipped his car as he flipped to where he lived. Like, he was big on doing that. He was everything. He flipped everything. So, anyways, long, long long-winded way of how I met Avery. Now I will let you speak, Avery. Uh, yeah, tell yeah, us Avery, a little bit about yourself. CEO of uh, 365 Experience. So why don't you give us your, your background? Right on. Well, started back in 2016, um, painting business before that. Student works, university painters. Yeah. You know, the yeah. University pro painters. Worked great. Yeah. Worked great. Um, trying to find something of my own. I put my spare bedroom on a two-bedroom up on Airbnb, and it very quickly paid for the rent of the whole space. And I yeah. thought, well, oh, that's no nice. Way. So I like data. This uh, was 2017? That was 2016. 2016, okay. Yeah. Um, 2016. And I like data, so I went online. Where's the data? How much can these things make? Uh, we all know AirDNA. Anybody yeah. who's worth their salt, of course. They yeah. AirDNA is the real player selling the shovels to the gold mine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's funny. So 
I found very quickly that there was a gap between rental prices and what we could make on Airbnb. So just went about getting one, then one to five, then one to 10, then 25. And now we're at 100. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you right there on yep. two things. First, on renting your apartment, was there any issues with that? Like, how, what was that like? Like, I've oh, always yeah. wondered what sharing a space would be... I think not my only first that, but also with your landlord and, oh, and the building. Sharing the space was fun. Like I always met cool people. Honestly, it yeah, really got true. a kick out of it. Okay. If you're into that, man, if you are, if, like, I don't know if you stayed in the actual bed and breakfast. It's great. Like you meet the sweet little old lady that runs the bed and breakfast. Like that was part of the charm of the bed and breakfast and a good Airbnb yeah. cohabitation situation. Because I've done that in the states. It is cool. Like you meet someone, you're like, hey man, what can you tell me about this place? hundred percent. And I, all my, I'll say my first probably five Airbnb rentals were me renting rooms and houses because. It was a cheaper alternative to a hotel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I met, I met some super cool people. I had some really weird experiences. A really quickly one <laughs> was two, like the house looked identical in the photo. And so I just walked up and I was like trying to use the Airbnb unlocker app that they told me to download and the door wouldn't unlock or go green or whatever. So finally I was like, oh, screw it. Let me see if it's unlocked. And so it was unlocked. So I just like went into this person's house. Someone else's house. Yeah. And I just yeah. started, I started getting undressed <laughs> and this family comes around the corner and is staring <laughs> at me in their entranceway and they're like, uh, and I'm like, I'm here for the Airbnb. And they're like, the, like they were like frozen in time. Oh my gosh. And, and I was like, like, you didn't get shot. Can I one up you on that? Yes. Yeah. One of our very first customers we ever host did the exact same thing, except <laughs> they were in their seventies. They went to the neighbor's house, put their bags in. And later we're trying to get in, so we can't get in. Called me. I show up, and they say the code's not working. Like that's not that's not our house. Oh, so oh whose house are my bags in? Like, I don't know. This no is our house. Way. This is the house written right there. No. Yeah, way. that was funny. That is wild. So, so they it, made themselves inhabited. Yeah. <laughs> so but you were literally um, taking over leases and then um, running them short. Like how did that go with? How'd you scale so quickly? Like, like were you? Yeah, you weren't buying these places. You were reinvest leasing. every single dollar. Religiously, just all of it. But pause, but pause. I'm more so like, what's the mo- so your model is to rent a space and re-rent it. You're not going out like when you said you went from five to twenty-five to hundred. You didn't go out there and buy a duplex and then another duplex and no, another no. ten units. It's it's scaling relationships. So we, the hardest part was getting the first one. I think we all know that in our respective careers, the first one is the hardest. Yeah. The moment we had that, you just point back to that one and say, "Look, I'm doing it. Can I can I do it again with you?" Yeah. And then we have two, and then you have twenty, and. Now we're negotiating contracts to take a full floor at a time or yep. take on a motel at a time. Yeah. So, and, and these are specific with the property owner. Exactly. Yeah yeah. 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 So someone owns the land and then we come in and we operate it to its best efficiency. And now the next step that we're getting into is creating a hold co to own the asset, which then signs a lease to the op co to run the asset. And we can bring in other investors in that road too. Okay. So the intent is ultimately to own more and more real estate. Oh yeah. I mean, we got to win the, the income statement and the balance sheet at the same yeah, time. Exactly. Um, so when I, I met you also cause you were working with one of my clients, uh, who you were renting some of his yeah, spaces. Yeah. I remember it fondly. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, I remember the model you had like options where people could take a fixed price. You'd say like, look, I'll give you a thousand bucks a month for your apartment. Or a revenue share model. Mm. Um, you also, I think, you think it was within the revenue share model, there was something where like they had to contribute towards furniture expenses or provide you with basically a startup loan, similar to what almost a commercial <laughs> company would take to take on a, a space. No, but seriously, like, right, like when you move into a commercial space, yeah. the landlord will give you $25,000 to upgrade the space. And so you were kind of taking that commercial setup and bringing it to a residential 
lease? That's really funny. Did you do any of that? Are you still doing that? Are you what? what, What's changed? No, we we pulled away from doing that. That was actually a lot of uh, what fueled our growth leading into the pandemic. Yeah. And then once the pandemic came, it's like okay, we got to restructure some of this because um, Mm -hmm. you know no sales. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But that was a really fun growth hacking model that we did. Was going back to saying who is our supplier. Um, and how do we negotiate some terms? And, you know, we, we mm. know what we're capable of. We like to yeah. have a space for two, three, four years. Um, so we would be going to landlords and saying, you know, lock us in for multiple years. We'd love to have it. Yeah. Just give us the first month free and 5000 bucks loan, and we're going to turn that into great stuff. And, and then and, and do you still revenue share? And now it's just they get the security yeah, of maybe oh, a potentially above-market rent? Or, that was or, it. Yeah. There was no revenue sharing on that. That was yeah. us taking a fixed lease. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one whole bucket we operate. The other bucket is uh, management contracts, and that is for people who already have Airbnb spaces that are done right. up. will come in anywhere between 20 to 30%, depending on volume. Yeah. Um, if they don't have a place set up, then we'll come in and we'll design the whole thing for them. And then that's where we bill out our, the furniture because the property owner will own that furniture. Right, right. We just manage. Yeah. So that's the drill. Um, yeah, man, that, that, this stuff is all super, super cool. Um, did you ever get any pushback from, so I guess if you're working with the, the owner of the building, you don't have to be concerned necessarily what other residents in the property even think necessarily, right? Because you have, (laughs) well, I I, know, but this is a real concern with people who, until they piss off the building owner enough that you then have to be concerned. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about that that relationship i was very curious when you said that i thought it was an individual ownership base but um did you ever have any pushback from those owners that they weren't comfortable with the model or, or what were the oh sure objections that you'd have to overcome yeah i suppose it's like uh democracy right 51 percent is all you need <laughs> yeah uh, so <laughs> infiltrating your building with my short terms yeah you know we get a lot of no's um but once we we found we found partners with landlords that um that really appreciated what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And we started to learn the value that we brought. And turns out um, we're <laughs> we're a property management firm that's not billing the landlord. So the lease that we're paying, the work that we're doing to keep our space up, the spaces are better when we're there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. because it's our customers pay more. So it's in our best interest to keep it up. Mm-hmm. So we paint, we'll do pest control, we do all sorts of stuff. And we just eat that because it allows us to make more money on the space. Yeah, um, yeah. So over that's time, really over time, we had a really harmonious relationship, and that's what's been fueling our growth. Is we just, you won't hear from us. You don't hear from us in a space, and that is easier than a normal tenant. Mm-hmm. In relations to tenants and buildings, that has been a bit of a growth curve as well, um, <laughs> because some spaces, if there's a tenant in there and we're operating a short term, it, it can create some friction. Um, so we've built out some some boundaries around that that we don't cross and it just worked pretty well for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then well, if you can scale to getting the floor model, that helps a bit too. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. On that same note, uh, outside of like the actual building owners or other tenants, have you had pushback from your clients' banks um, or insurance companies? And it's kind of a loaded question yes. because I know my client's bank stepped in and was like, you can't have one person renting this many units in a multi-unit building especially if they're short-term releasing them. Yeah, that was a one-time thing. I've never yeah. seen that since. No? I don't even know what that was. Yeah, yeah. It, it genuinely happened. I think it was when he submitted all the leases and they saw they're all the same name. It flagged uh, yeah, whatever. But you haven't had any issue no. with that since? Never had an issue with the banks. What's interesting, I actually had someone contact me on two different spaces that I've recently put up for rent. Someone else here locally trying to do this same model and marketing it towards um, what they call them, corporate stays or whatever. Yep. And it was the same deal. They want to just kind of like, hey, oh, we'll take your unit. We'll furnish it and blah, 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 blah. And for me personally, I was like, you know what? I don't know who you are. Um, I don't want to do this. And 
you know, the rental market's been strong enough that I do was you like, have to, yeah, I, I didn't have to do it. Um, and I did have some concerns about whether or not my insurance would be complicated by this setup. Uh, and even whether or not big picture, um, my tax implications could potentially be affected down the road. And this sort of leads in a little bit to these more nuanced conversations happening around short-term rentals right now. Um, so maybe if we can just shift a little bit to that, if you can high level summarize what it is that the government here, the municipal level is looking to do, um, and maybe even give your opinion on it. I think we <laughs> probably agree on it in a lot of ways, but I'd be yeah. curious to hear your, your summary of it. Well, I really like, uh, I really like taking complicated things and making them so, I don't know, sixth grader could understand. Maybe that's where I live in, in my mind. Yeah. Um, the way I see it is if you picture yourself um, as a listener sitting in your backyard, there's a green space perhaps. Well, if that green space was Halifax, the government has said, we don't want you in it, kids. How about we build a sandbox over here? Mm-hmm. Go play in that sandbox. Here's some toys. To me, that's very exciting. So, you know, it's a bit of a double-edged sword of what Halifax has brought to the table. On one end, it's accomplished a Canada first. It's made a commercial area for people who enjoy STRs to play, one of which we conveniently happen to be very well positioned to grow. Uh, on the other end, in the residential areas, it is really impacting people that we didn't think it would. Um, players like us have the ability to pivot, have the ability to change directions and fund it, uh, but the real person getting impacted is uh, the single mom <laughs> with kids, with a job, one income property, uses that to fuel her own lifestyle, and that just got taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, so my opinion is a bit of a double-edged sword. Um, one, I'm, I'm excited. I think this is an incredible move for Halifax, uh, a hybrid approach that I haven't seen across the country. And I think eyes are going to be on us. If anything, it's going to speed the process up. There's going to be more investment. In the city. Is this because these areas are just going to make it very clear cut? Hey, in this area, you can carte blanche do short-term rentals. Bingo. Yeah. yeah. What do those geographic areas look like? Is that decided yet? Yeah, they've, there's about... Uh, 12 to 14 commercial zones in, in Halifax. They're all a little foggy right now and the changing infrastructure. Um, they've picked about three of them. So there's a little pushback that we want to provide to say, there's some of these other areas that should really be considered that currently aren't. However, the fact that there's a starting point is extremely compelling um, to, as you say, carte blanche to have commercial activity where we don't have it as a primary residence. Is it basically that you're just going to draw a little halo above the hydrostone and say, just not here and <laughs> anywhere else can go? Because that seems to be the entire That's conversation. Re- yeah. If you're not from Halifax, the hydrostone is a very trendy neighborhood or district within a neighborhood yeah. that has grown immensely in the last few years. Close, it was close-knit aging community. It's, it's, uh, it's really beautiful. Um, we Unique. have a property in the Hydrostone. Uh, long ago, we shifted it to 30-day minimum, which a lot of people are going to have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, some properties just don't make sense. The, it, you gotta, we, we act based on what the community will tolerate, and some communities tolerate 30-day minimums. Some downtown, no one knows their neighbor. That's fine, two-day mm-hmm. minimums. And the city, with the regulations, have really highlighted the fact of saying, we have a short-term rental housing problem and a long-term housing problem. Cutting one off to feed the other is not going to help anybody. Mm-hmm. So they made a district to say, we want tourism here. That's exciting for us. I, I think, it may, I think yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like that, makes, that does make a lot of sense. It's, the tough part is 
there's a lot of, and that's what we talked about when we first heard it come out, is that it's going to impact a lot of people. Like you said, the, the single mom that needs the extra income or someone who's trying to get on the property ladder, it's their only way to afford or get into a home yeah, um, or start their investment journey. So for that, yeah, th- it's, it's a little frustrating. That's a cruel irony in some sense because they're a lot of the people <laughs> celebrating these changes are saying, this is great because you know what? Um, these are businesses. They're not mom and pop operations. They're businesses and they're making these monies with these hollowed out neighborhoods, effectively running hotels in these areas. And I'm so glad that the city's cracking down on that and that's going to stop. It sounds like what you're saying is it's the exact opposite. Like bigger players like yourself will continue to do that and, and will be given freedom to do so. But it's actually more so the individuals who are renting a basement apartment or, you know, renting a room or maybe have a secondary suite or put up a yurt down in, you know, the Eastern shore for surfers. Yeah. They're the ones yeah. that are going to be screwed. And there's, there was at that meeting, there were a couple of counselors that did provide pushback and they were more of the cottagey areas uh, because truly it doesn't make sense, you know, create Those these regulations. Yeah. We're not expecting every single one of these properties to come back to the market. Are we, people aren't going to put yeah, inhabitants in their fun. cottages. So yeah. there is some areas that need to be still be worked out, and that's going to happen on September 1st. Um, but those councillors at least are supporting um, an amendment that at least allows people to do their cottages, for God's sakes. Okay. So, so you stand behind the Airbnb mall. You think it still has space in this market, and you think oh, it's yeah. still a good way for somebody to get started if they just it's can got a lot of space and navigate the rules? The rates are going to go up. Because um, of those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Halifax is booming. It's yeah. an exciting city. People are coming here. This place is thriving. Yeah. We have two sh- housing shortage problems. So take away supply Short-term from one. Long term. No problem. We'll do that. Anybody who's got spaces left, I can see a very expensive 2024 summer, summer so, season coming. So, so where are these areas kind of roughly that are earmarked? Are you able to kind of say roughly geographically yeah, there? You know, picture stuff around the downtown core. There's not going to be any independent residential homes um, where the city is Hmm. This is the fun. This is the fun part. The city's logic for regulating what should be commercial and not is if there's a hotel or a better bed and breakfast in the same or similar or nearby zone, well then why can't you? Why can't mm-hmm, that also mm-hmm. be commercial? Um, mm. That's the argument. So it's coming around. Precedent. Well, it's down the road. How um, how far do I need to be? Do I need to get mm-hmm. a ruler out here? And some of our properties, um, we want to do that because they're right down the road. Mm-hmm. Do you think it'll be zoning based, like corridors, like? For Halifax and stuff, we have a zoning called Corridor. It's super foggy right now. It's super I've heard, foggy. That's a lot of people I've heard been like, well, I think it's going to be the Corridor zones, which include but the man, ability like to you, have you can be all, commercial. All of these side streets off a of Corridor, there's some sort of hotel on all of these exactly. corridors. Exactly. And so if you're on a side street, well, think of like, you know, Quimple, there's a hotel, right? Where at? The Atlantica. Right at the start of it. And we've got it's a property right oh. next door to it. I guess. and, and right. So then does that mean all those streets in behind, like the one right across the street from it, like l- yeah. go across the street. Does mm-hmm. that count? Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's going to be a weird. So uh, who's, thing. who's really going to get affected is people outside of the core and the core is going to be, it's going to be foggy and messy and we hope to have more clarity. <laughs> um, I don't know. If I was going to say, I want to talk about the Porter's Lake, your new project, yep. but I was going to ask you about some numbers first on the Airbnb would some what would you would you expect for a person to say like if they're within the zone that makes sense and I know it's hard to project especially where numbers are likely going to increase if someone's long term renting a unit for fifteen hundred bucks on average are you seeing like you can be like hey look once you pay for the furniture and we take our thirty percent management fee you should be netting more than that fifteen hundred bucks like can you confidently say that on average or what's like who who what's usually what's your pitch and somebody going to Airbnb 
obviously I feel like a lot of people went because they heard the hype and all the money that could be made. Yeah. Um, Honestly, the best properties um, truly that we've found are the ones that are distressed and we've put love and attention into. We've signed a long-term commitment, maybe three, four years where we'll get our money's worth out of it. Mm -hmm. We come in, we paint it. That gives us a space that is more affordable on the lease side Mm -hmm. so that every month we're not climbing such a big mountain to get over those gains. Or you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum and go to luxury. But the stuff in the middle is um, is hard. It's hard. Yeah. yeah but but truly, the revenue yeah. you can make from one unit in Halifax area, thirty to forty five grand, would be annual annual annualized. Okay. Do you do you still chase after after those smaller scale? Um, I don't want to call them subletting, but like that that model, do you still chase after that now, or are you mainly going right to direct to? larger landlords. What do you mean by that? Like, our, our, it, say someone has a home in, in the North End. You know, yeah. it's got two units and like, hey, uh, I'd be interested in, in working with you guys. Is that still really part of your business model? Oh, yeah, or yeah. Guys, so, okay. so we're, <laughs> yeah, we're focusing on motels and management. We got motels, commercial zone. Um, we've got the commercial zone in Halifax for apartments. And management is anybody's properties that we can add our spin on to to make them successful. So we'll happily do that. For us to sign, sign commercial contracts, no, we don't do this anymore. We look for a floor. We look for um, a group of units to consolidate our expenses. Mm-hmm, Way mm-hmm. more affordable. Um, I just want to get into some some little numbers here. Yeah. Roughly speaking, because I, I hear a lot of discrepancy in this, how many short-term rentals do you think there actually are operating in, call it Halifax? That's I'm not going to hold you to it. So but actual like, peninsula? I mean, HRM. well, actually, l- l- let's say HRM broadly and then let's talk more peninsular traditional core health facts yeah i think we're running around last i've checked on air dna and sometimes it can be a little inflated i'd put it around 1200 it shows up to 2000 that, that's lot, in hrm yeah, total yeah. a lot of those listings will be dormant or inactive if one homeowner just makes a year yeah like it yeah. doesn't calendars need to be open to show up as a listing mm-hmm. and a lot of those are sit, sitting empty we actually have some that we don't have any more that we sit empty to keep the data history of that profile. So right. if you strip all the ones away that aren't active, I don't actually think it's the as large as they've predicted. I thought the same thing because I'd hear all these numbers between 16, you're smiling at me because I was, I was that's what I felt. Yeah. Uh, they had all these numbers from 1650 to 2000 across HRM. And then uh, that's wild. Like I, I think it's wild for, for sure. And then I also think it's funny because if someone has five yurts, that's five individual units. I made that joke. And if, if someone has two bedrooms in their house, that's two separate units and all of these things um, that, that inflate that number I feel pretty like grossly. Sum, I feel like in the summertime, I feel like a lot do come on market. Like I feel like when I scroll now for a unit in Halifax, the listing count is lower and in the summertime it's higher. Like I feel like there's a, oh, just 100%. so many units that come online. Yeah. In the summertime, yeah. especially in the downtown, because yeah. there's a ton of people who follow the model of like eight months of students, four months Airbnb. Why would I mean, you not? Time, but there's people that do. Yeah, like uh, those students are literally leaving town. I'm not questioning it. I'm well, more so just being like, I'm just yeah, no, I know, 100. I I think it's I think it's a good model. I'm just saying it. Uh, I, I do think there is a volume of units that are on market. Um, and I'm with you though. I, I do think that it will put upward pressure on pricing, and I do think there's still a uh, sustainable model within certain areas. I think it's increased the barrier to entry. Oh, big time on an education basis yeah. and even on a cost perspective. Um, but I think I can't remember. But I feel like when you started, I thought the model was to not own real estate. I don't remember for sure. You're now talking about buying real estate, which I think is the best move. Um, and I'm curious what brought that change. Was it COVID? Can I ask one more question yeah, before sure. we pivot to this? Because we're going to pivot to this really cool project that you have and, and maybe some other things that we haven't even yeah, yeah. yet. 
I have one last question about this Airbnb stuff specifically. Yeah, let's do it. Is, is there clarity yet around um, your property tax assessment? So, oh, mm, no. yeah, taxes. Okay. What the hell's going on there? No. Because there's not, not at okay. all. That because was a great question, and it, it's it's not clear at all. It was just yeah. a discussion. It was glossed over. Yeah, uh, hope you're to have, see more for September. Yeah, yeah, you're going to have to. It's it's some people are going to be out there like, yes, this is great. I have a north end property that now I feel better about the fact that I'll be able to continue to operate it as a short term rental because I'm in a residential area, and you see all the stuff like, oh, you can't do a residential area unless you live in it. But sounds like maybe there is more nuance to that yep. uh, if you're in certain districts. However you will be changing the use of the property to commercial, which means you have to make a declaration for tax purposes. Um, there's an accounting component to that and the changing of, of expenses with your property tax, and but I there's think, just nothing. And I think if we consider on the residential yeah, side where it's someone's primary residence, um, I'm I'm hoping they don't make it that complicated. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. well, now, now you've planted seeds for two more questions I want to ask about the Airbnb <laughs> stuff. Um what do you think the number one thing is or like the top two things are that somebody does to make an Airbnb successful? Um, whether it be like the furnishings, photos, location, pricing. So for us, combining I've, with experience. I've, <laughs> I've uh, isolated it down to a trade secret, the secret sauce. The secret sauce. Every Airbnb space, every Airbnb space, if you walk into it and it just doesn't feel a little right. Yeah. You know, when you walk in a room and you're like, it's a little... Something's not there. Something's not here. Yeah. Without fail. It will not it is, perform. It is. It will not perform. But it is always one rug, mm. one wall art, and <laughs> one light away, one lamp away from feeling cozy. Mm-hmm. That changes everything. If you were to paint a big mural in your living room, take a photo of that, that drives sales. It's the best ROI. Stuff that we do. Interesting. Okay. So making yeah. it unique. Yeah. U- but unique a space stays, needs to feel full. Yeah, and okay. if, a space, if a space feels full... People come back and they spend more. Yeah. Do you have a, like a recurring client base that looks specifically for your guys' properties? We're about to start that. We are doing a REIT brand. Soon it'll be called Sweet Digs. Oh. Uh, Sweet oh, Digs, man. Yeah, Sweet Digs. Sweet right. Digs. Yeah, yeah. And we are going to take... i that's re- with a U-I-T-E. It's not. I think missed opportunity there. No, it's not. Digs is... It's the Digs. Digs. Yeah. If you look at the history of Digs, it actually is the space. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like saying spaces, spaces. And I don't want to be spaces, spaces. Yeah. I want to be sweet <laughs> I, spaces. Just double down, lean into the pun. <laughs> anyway, no, that, that, um, that's watch for that. Um, look up the word though, digs. You'll, oh, you'll yeah, say. yeah. People be like, oh man, nice digs. What's uh, my last question before we make the transition is what is your like number one piece of advice outside of what they can do for the Airbnb? If somebody's looking to get into this, should they be focusing on something like educating the heck out of themselves, preparing a bunch of cash on the side? Just take action. Just take action. Uh, like everything, everything always else. comes down to just, just do take it. action. Like you're going to get rejected. You're going to, yeah. something's not going to work. You're going to burn a bit of money. Everything comes down to relationships. Just start asking questions and everything will show up. Yep. Okay. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. That's what I, I would think. say. Focus on distressed. Focus on something where you can improve with with makeup. What is distressed? You say distressed. Like for me, distressed when I buy dated a dated apartment. Is... Really dated apartment. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like that's very. Uh, counterintuitive to what most people think when they Straight think they're well, yeah, well, you don't you don't want just distress like the windows are broken and stuff. You mean just like, yeah, it's tired. No, and you it's go in tired. there and hipster it up, man. Yeah. You put the right artwork, you put the right decor, you put the right paint. We've taken spaces where the floor was beat up, the walls are just scuffed really bad, and the light switches didn't make any sweet sense. The roof was too low, but we just 
leaned into that. We put down a lot of rugs and we painted on the wall saying, this is the light for that room. Mm-hmm. And people loved it. And now it's it's really well performing. We called it the artist's hideaway and we just blasted it with like a hundred different framed pieces if of art. If you can't sell the steak, sell the sizzle. <laughs> that's oh what it's man. That is, that's clever, man. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I yeah. have one last question. All right. Okay. Well, how many times do we want to say last? Ten more. Okay. Until uh, I stop keeping coming up with good questions. So, <laughs> do you think that this new legislation is going to have any impact whatsoever uh-huh, on housing, oh rental housing stock in Halifax, be it supply to a significant uh, amount or cost? No. No shit. No I'm kidding. I'm not 100%. Well, like, I mean, was there anyone in the room that was like, we do acknowledge this is going to have no effect on anything. Well, in, in its most natural form. Like if we just, you need more houses. You can't just keep shuffling people around, you know. Sometimes we're going to need to sit still. The people from the commercial zone who are residents slowly will see migrate to the residential zone. And then the residential will see slowly migrate to the commercial. It will be a shuffling of cups. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it. So we're just, we're keeping busy. We're moving things around. Like I saw one quote and I won't name who the counselor was because I like this counselor a lot. Yeah, no names. <laughs> they said, well, I mean, even if it adds 100 or 200 units, then that's good and we should do it. And my issue with that is, like, you clearly don't know. You're like, I don't know. Like, you, you're, you're, your margin of error there is 100%. It's either going to add 100 units, it might add 200. Like, so you don't even know. Yeah. And you're, you're inflating this number like, oh, there's... There could be 2,000 out there. Everyone, I think, knows there's nowhere near that many, but there could be that many, and it could only add 100 or 200. We don't know, and then it's obvious that that's not, everyone would know that's not going to make any impact on pricing whatsoever. So it seems like a lot of work, and it's being sold as this idea, this proactive thing towards housing affordability. It's just not. And I think if someone were to say, listen, we know this has nothing to do with housing affordability. This has to do with regulation and taxation. taxation. I would respect that more, right? But the fact that it's sold under the guise of this is proactive change to improve housing is either really, really stupid, and there's a lot of really intelligent people that are missing that, or just It's really, really smart. They're doing it to gain traction that they're doing the right thing. I think that's what it really is. But I... I, I like, like, I'm with you where it's like, I think it's exciting because it's, I, I think it makes sense to push a lot of the Airbnbs out of specific, like, residential neighborhoods. Like, it doesn't necessarily make sense if you have kids and then your neighbors got the house all Airbnb up. Like, there's sometimes... We'll always have 30-day minimums. Exactly. So, there's there's things like that. So, I don't know. I, I think regulation is required. It's the taxation. I'm not always super pro because they're going to tax it to the hilt and it just makes it so much more expensive and harder to do. But... Um, and I do think it will bring some units back in certain spaces that will be helpful, but on the flip side, it will take spaces oh, you'll, away. Oh, you'll see them come back. Uh, exactly, but and there'll be spaces that get sucked up in other places that were also needed. And these owners that are bringing them back on the market are getting used to earning 3000 or 3500 a month, so what do you think they're going to be listing their apartment spaces for, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I don't, they're for, now they're yeah. now furnished They're not going to be cheaper. They're yeah. not and the reality cheaper. is some of them aren't going to be legal, and then they'll have to disappear hundred percent. Yep. And then where are we going to put these tourists? Where are we going to put these new to country immigrants who have nowhere to stay? You know, I don't know. Down that path. But, but okay. Last question is last. It's all done. No, no, I don't have a last question. I have a okay. last question. I'm just fucking with you. But um, pivot now. We want to pivot now because 
like I said, I talked to you before, and originally the model was to try and avoid ownership. From what I remember, I don't remember for sure. Um, and now, obviously, you do own real estate, and you're continuing to buy, and you have a very exciting project going on. Um, can you tell me why that changed, if it did, and then also what this new project is? Anything to add? No, I was honestly just mesmerized by how, how low hairy. this button has gotten. <laughs> did he open up more? Here. I thought we were going to get a zoom in on that yeah. for a minute. Well, we probably yeah, close crop that. Yeah. There's, There's a good chance that that's getting zoomed yeah, okay. in. I'm going to pull that back up. Okay. Um, that's great. Yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So hot in here. Getting hotter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, uh, we've built a very good cash flow business. Yeah. It does well on an income statement. That's fantastic. But as we've learned, it looks like garbage on a balance sheet, and it is tough to fund further growth with that. So we need something on the balance sheet. Best use is an asset. When I say when he's saying balance sheet, he's talking assets. Yeah. Perhaps the property. So we have a great foot in the door with all of these leases, and now we're trying to own the space that we're renting in. And there's room there with vendor takebacks. I love using those. And yeah. we're navigating that process. Um, but ultimately, we need to own something to have any equity to scale at the rate that we want to. Yeah. Because venture capital doesn't actually like this space and we don't have many assets. So to fuel it, we have to dive deeper into owning the asset. Got yeah. it. And so you bought a big asset, a, a big very asset. big asset. So we're focusing what on two things. It? Two things. Our Airbnb rentals focused on everything in the city. Yeah, That allowed us to cater to a commodity or a need. People need a place downtown when they come to visit there. Well, we focused on the next time saying, let's cater to the wants. What do people want to do for fun? The niche. So we bought 250 acres just on the outside of town, about uh, 35, 40 minutes. And we went into our roots. We said people love to go camping. Let's build A-frames, yurts, domes. We have a private lake. We just added four-wheeler tours. We have a bar opening up on May 2-4. It just keeps getting carried away. Oh, and it just turns out, apparently we have a ski hill. I skied it yesterday. That was hilarious. Yeah. So we are now having a pop-up ski hill. Who can say that? They That's don't just pop up. They That's... don't just come out of nowhere. So we're going to clear a couple runs, and then you can see yourself... Uh, Skiing down, hop on the four-wheeler, come back, drop down. So there you go. So how are you going to do? Yeah, it. you're going to rip them up with the four-wheeler. But the most, the most fun concept, the one that I'm playing with right now, and this is a golden, golden nugget for you both that I haven't um, exclusive for this podcast. Mm, what? We are trying something new. So building all of this out is very, very hard. People already have assets. How can we collaborate? Well, we've worked really, really hard on building an adventure playground for adults. Well, the next step is we need a place to house them. So we're creating a collaboration here where we say, we've built the space. You have things and a place to stay on wheels, whether it be a Winnebago, a teardrop trailer, an RV. How about you come park it here when you're not using it? And we're going to turn that into an income asset for you. We're going to manage it. That's what we're doing next. Mm, that's very so we're clever. launching that out to the market. We're going to be looking for five people to launch with that want to test that and we project thousand, two thousand bucks a month going into the summer. I would like to go back to the pod where I said my way to make uh, my oh the RV yeah the RV my way to make a million bucks was to buy some RVs and rent them out. Here's a great opportunity to buy one and give it to Avery. And we I are think giving people a couple of our listeners actually it. did buy some. Yeah, so they may hopefully reach out to you. So so what do you have them. active there right now? That what's it called? Porter's Peak Adventure Getaway. Find us at porterspeak.com. Peak Adventure Getaway. Yeah. What's up there operational right now that someone could go there today and do? We've got year-round cabins. We have a 
full private lake so they could go skating right now. They could go four-wheeling and zip around the lake. We're connected right next door to 200 kilometers of four-wheeling trails. They could come do that. Uh, we have winter camping with wood stoves inside, people that like to freeze their butts off and then wake up in the middle of the night and heat themselves back up. Oh, yeah. Uh, and very shortly, we're going to have a couple of domes. So, so to what, each what, their own adventure. The, the, the cabin structures there, that are there now, did those come with the land or did you build those? No, up? we built everything okay. from scratch. So we built a three-kilometer road. We encompassed the private lake. In the summer, we have stuff that we put in the lake. People can go swimming. Uh, there's hiking trails right next door on the other side. Did you stock the lake with fish? We're thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Fish. not a very big lake. It's a tiny lake. Makes um, it easier to catch. <laughs> yeah, just stick your neck. Then you go, out. man. Think of the Instagram. Like you go, you catch your fish. Yeah, we're thinking about it. Fish in a barrel, right? Shooting fish in a very small lake. Uh, um, but right now they can come winter camping, get away. Where are you marketing it? Are you are you using the traditional sites or are you going direct have, to consumer? We've worked very hard to build out our Instagram, so you can look us up on Porter's Peak on Insta and uh, watch our stories. They're funny. We work really hard to make them compelling, um, and our direct bookings are number one right now. Um, we actually surpass the Airbnb earnings because we've religiously focused on our Instagram. Um, where, so look there for entertainment and inspiration. Where's the financing coming? Where'd the financing come from to buy the land? Because I imagine that much acreage in Porter's Lake was not cheap. And then where are you continuing to get the money to build the yurts, the A-frames? You know, this whole thing keeps getting carried away. And um, I think bringing that whole section almost to a wrap to say, here's where it is now and here's where it's going at the end of the day, partners are a lot of fun. There's a lot of room to collaborate, um, even if it's not an equity partner, just commercial partners are a lot of fun. Um, so we've done this with the restaurant. We've done this with the four-wheeler tours. The next step we're looking at is bringing in a Nordic spa to round out our winters partners. The next step after that is looking how do we take, we're only using about 15 of these acres. What do we do with the other 235? Well, now we're talking about building it into a development. How do we put a development agreement on that and break it out and build homes? We're looking for partners on that too. Um, but the process of getting to all this in the first place just started with a dream, Neil. <laughs> it started with a dream. Um, we had success from our current operation. The bank lent upon that success. Otherwise, oh, nice. they would have... Oh, Yeah, yeah. They would have... Nice. Um, we got away with less down. Um, we're somewhere around 30, 35% down. On, on land? On, how much raw land? On raw land. That's impressive. Yes. Nice. Nice. Um, so we used the Canadian Small Business Financing Program. Got a million through that. Land cost of seven fifty. Um, nice. And then we brought in some equity from other partners um, and topped it up to one point three, one point four. Yeah. And just got started. And then Sweet. along the way, we leveraged financing deals for equipment. Um, we leveraged cash flow terms with suppliers. And um, when in doubt, we leveraged our experience from what we've been doing for the last seven years. Yeah. And you got cash flow pretty quickly. Yeah. Right? Ex exactly. Yeah. So right now we're focused on maximizing those accommodations out in the summer. And one of the ways we thought to do it was we've worked hard on getting the right zoning in a place where you can have great Airbnbs. What a great time. Regulations are impacting people. Set up at our shop. We'll do a, a revenue split on it. Yeah, true enough. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, any concern with where the economy's gone with inflationary pressure making it so hard for people to have extra cash? Does that concern you at all that people won't have the extra cash to come? Uh, see you guys, or is it the mindset that people will be less inclined to travel to faraway places and going to want to do more staycations? Mm. Have you guys put any thought into that yet? I'm just always like, obviously, you know what's going on out there. It, it, it is very hard to make ends meet right now, and things continue to get more expensive. And it's like everything that's a non necessity gets backburned. 
but people do really love to travel and need to get out of the home. Yeah. Um, so do you expect, I guess, like I was saying, it to be a problem or is it going to end up being a benefit? And that's also why we're hedging our bets on wants versus needs. This whole thing sprung up from the pandemic when everyone flocked to cottages and we said, we need those. So we dive, dove into the wants. We built tiny cabins on a lake. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, we have stability on both sides. That's it. The variety, the product mix is what keeps us safe because the landscape is always going to keep changing. Yeah. If not this, when? Yeah. So we've, we're just building out a good collective of different service offerings that together build a really strong package. Just one of its own, it's very hard, very unstable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's smart. That makes sense. Yeah, you're diversifying a lot with what you have a on there. Lot. And you're really going after the winter market, which is smart because the summer market here is kind of strong regardless. Like you could pretty much do anything and our summer bookings are out of this world. Everything's full. Oh, they're insane. And yeah. there's so many, there's so much demand. So winter is where, like you said, you should put a lot of effort into. That's the sweet spot. Because if you can get winter going, summer's going to always work out fine. Um, and so that's, uh, that's interesting. I'm super curious about the ski hill. That's, that's got So me. that's, that's, that's my vibe for the winter. Pop-up ski hill, Nordic spa, four-wheeler tours. Great time. Yeah. Made a little ski do. Yeah. That, um, how many doors do you have under management right now? Under management total? Yeah. yeah. Uh, across everything, 120. Gotcha. Right on. How many staff? 20, 25, depending on the season. Mostly cleaners and... No, no. Um, we have a very solid... Um, we've reinvested our profits into our people so we can scale quickly. Um, we have a full stack management structure with a general manager in place and uh, every department runs. Um, our, our housekeeping staff uh, does have a lot of turnover and a lot of part-time roles. Um, but I'd say... 60% overhead, 40% um, housekeeping. Okay. So you have about 15 full-time that are always going to be around sort of thing. Management. Yeah. yeah. Like in, in the management yeah. roles. Because I guess that's really added up. Yeah. About 15 yeah. now. Yeah, it happens fast. <laughs> um, no, that that's super cool. Um, uh, well, th- this has all really been enlightening and interesting to me as someone who kind of, I, I've been on here and said short-term rentals are, are dead. dead. Uh, but I'm mainly... I still stand by that in terms of like the genuine mom and pop one off, maybe two. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. hard. Because yeah. frankly, they're going to be competing with guys like you that have that economy of scale, you know, and, and are able to work within these regulations. Um, but within that, do some really big things potentially. Yeah, 100%. We've created just a random thing here. We've created a, an inbox questions at 365x.ca. If anybody that's going to be infected, infected, <laughs> infected, impacted by the regulations, the new zone, they can Basically. send us an email. We're, we're doing some free one-on-ones to just help people adjust. Um, I, I love this community. So any way we can help. Cool. Basically infected. 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 Infected by the rules. By socialism. By the taxes. <laughs> that's a separate pod that Chandler has. Um, okay, no, I think I think that's all the questions. Yeah, that man, we that got, was man. very interesting. I think we covered a lot of topics that weren't even expected to to cover. So that's really cool, man. Under really promise, cool. over deliver. Appreciate you coming in, man. Actually, before we cut you off or finish you off, now I have one I have a last. Question. We have to have one last question. Do you have someone that you aspire to or look up to, or you tried to model your business after? Um, someone in the real estate world, or someone in the investment world, or banking, whatever it is. I've always went down the line of Branson. I, I love Richard Branson. I think yep. the, uh, the energy and the humanness he brings to life is just so fantastic. So everything that we do, we put fun and autonomy right at the front of it. We want all, our people, all of our people to be decision makers and we want fun to be the priority because otherwise we're just wasting our time. Interesting. No, that's cool. Branson's sweet. I like him too. He's my boy. He's your boy. 
All, all right. right. Again, thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks guys. Always listening. Like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. Peace. Thanks so much for watching the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, press like. Don't forget to subscribe. But also check us out on Instagram and TikTok. You can find all the links below. Thanks again for checking us out.